I'll give you a minute to find that. Romans 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one, is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we love you this morning, and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace that allows all of us to come here this morning and meet with you. We thank you for your spirit that you've gifted us with, um, not because we deserved it, but because you love us. Pray that you would clear off all the things in our heart that are distracting us uh, from your spirit, from your word. And I pray that you would soften our hearts and, and open them to hear your truth uh, from Lockwood. I pray that you'd give him boldness and clarity and uh, that we'd all just have a Sunday that brings us close to you. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. No? Hello, check, check, check. Give it down. Give it down. <laughs> Hello. Am I coming in? All right, all right. I always lis- like listening to Joel do announcements. So um, gets me going, so it's nice. Takes a little of the edge off. All right, so this morning we're talking about Romans. Some of the people are like, Romans, you're tackling Romans. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty ambitious. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's definitely been a chapter that's spoken to me over the years and um, actually been going through kind of it uh, in the Bible study with some of the guys in the church, so I'm pretty amped to kind of share um, kind of stuff that's been on my heart. And you'll have to forgive me, I'm a little all over the place, uh, but I'm hoping the Lord's going to help me, help me kind of bring it all together here because it's pretty cool. Um, and I, in addition to that, I, I've always been passionate over, uh, about reading and learning about leaders, um, leaders in our country, leaders throughout the history of the world. And like Orthodox Christianity has kind of been built upon the shoulders of, of other really good men and how the Lord's used them. And so I think it's always great to kind of tie back to some of those people and see what they've done throughout history and, and how the Lord's used them. So I'm going to kind of bring that a little bit into the picture. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to start off um, talking a little bit about the fundamentals. Uh, and kind of what Brian Renner got to uh, a couple weeks ago, he was really talking about how it's so easy for us to, to get up and come out, you know, come from church and be like, hey, we need to prioritize Jesus. We need to put him at the top of our list. He needs to be this great big checkbox that we hit off every day, whether it's our, our quiet time or whatnot. But it's really hard for us to really make him the core of how we think, like, like in everything that we do. Instead of it just being a checkbox, it just being something that's like inherently within us. And I really got to thinking of that um, 
a lot, and I'm like, you know what, you know, so oftentimes I start off the day with a good quiet time or something, and then, you know, hour three at work, next thing I know, I'm totally in the flesh just reaming somebody, or the way that I'm thinking through things, it's just, it's really hard, it's such a challenge, and, and, and one of the things, getting back to the fundamentals, is, is what are really the fundamentals, um, and, and that's the question I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about this morning, but, uh, you know, Eric Spolstra, the coach of the Miami Heat, right? So he's getting interviewed. You don't even know who he really is because you always think of Pat Riley's really the coach, but whatever. Um, so um, Eric Spolstra, he was getting interviewed between the third and the four, fourth quarter of the last two games, game six and seven, and he's like, so how's your team going to come out and win in the fourth quarter? And he goes, well, we've got to come out. We've got to do full press defense. We've got to come out and show up. We've got to play great defense. We've got to get back to the fundamentals. He didn't say, hey, we need LeBron to go out and hit three threes. We need D-Wade to step up as the game. We need Chris Bosh to get a couple blocks. We need to shut down, you know, the Spurs. He just says, we need to get back to the fundamentals and play good defense, you know. And I remember my coach, he's, you know, I played football a little bit growing up, and one of my coaches would always say, you know, hey, if you can't block and tackle, you can't go out and win, win a ball game. And so within, I started thinking about this, you know, within the Christian life, you know, what are the fundamentals of the Christian religion? Like, what are the fundamentals of, of the gospel? Um, and what, what it kept leading me back to is the doctrine of justification. Um, uh, of, of grace alone, um, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so oftentimes we try to add to this. You know, it's Christ plus this. It's Christ plus my works. And I think Paul really hits home with this at Romans 4. But it's so easy for us to, our day to hinge upon how good we are or how good we weren't, you know. Whether I pray at night or I read before bed depends on, you know, do I feel guilty to, to open up the word after what I did today at work or or what I said, or what some of my actions last weekend, you know, that's not why Christ died on our, our behalf. So if we don't get the doctrine of justification, we nullify the cross. So basically, Christ died completely in vain if we don't get the doctrine of justification. Um, once again, I'm going to say this a lot when I'm up here this morning, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, so one of the things that Paul says in Ephesians 4.4, he says, uh, I don't have that on the bulletin, I took up all the paper, but with <laughs> Sorry, Karen, I killed your ink toner. <laughs> uh, and, that's, and that's expensive, man. I went to Costco the other day. It's like 50 bucks for like a four-pack. Anyway, we'll put that in the church budget, all right? Uh, so Ephesians 4.4 4 says, the goal of my preaching ministry, and this is Paul talking, the goal of my preaching ministry should be that you're no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about um, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So what Paul is saying is, you know, as, as believers, we need to get off, forgive me for being blunt here, we need to get off the nipple, and we really need to eat some sustainable food and understand what the gospel, what he's really trying to teach us. Because if not, every emotional thing that takes in our, place in our life, we're going to be moved, swayed around by doctrine. That's why the fundamentals are so core to understanding, you know, you know, who we are as believers and claiming that. Um, so to kind of get into uh, to Romans 4, I want to kind of give you a little bit of context. So Paul is obviously writing to the Romans. I'm going to read Romans 1.1 real quick just so we can kind of all get on the same page with who Paul is. Because in, in Romans 1.1, he kind of, uh, here we go, I'm going to read it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is basically saying, I, I am ordained by God as an apostle to come out and preach the gospel. So what Paul's been doing really is he's been kind of going all around. And you've got to remember, this is right after Jesus died on the cross, right? So Christianity is kind of exploding. And so what Paul, Paul is really a torch carrier for the gospel because what's happening is God, the gospel is being preached and he's going around and he's got teams of ministries and he's planning churches, but at the same time there are people that are trying to pervert the gospel. They're trying to do Christ plus, Christ and, instead of just it, Christ alone and faith alone. And so what he's doing here and is he's writing to the Romans and he's saying, and you've got to think of Rome too. I mean, at this time, you know, they're like, I mean, I, it's easy for me to compare them to L.A. because it's like a hub or central place of culture where culture is creating and it's kind of disseminating all over the world from there. And um, so Paul wants to be really very intentional about the truth and the gospel that's being preached in the church in Rome. So he really wants to get back to the fundamentals, the core you know, doctrine. So really, Romans 1 through 8 is talking about the doctrine of justification. And... Um, in order to kind of like take us down that road, I want to dig in a little bit more to what the doctrine of justification is. And, um, and then I want to kind of talk about a little bit uh, uh, Romans 4, and then I have a couple um, examples that I want to talk about application-wise. But So to really understand justification by faith alone and Christ alone, um, we have to understand what we're saved from. So, you know, we're, we're saved from the wrath of God. Because either God is a perfect, just God, and, and no matter what, he will punish our sin. Uh, let, me, let me look. Uh, it says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the tr- truth. God is calling us to utterly complete righteousness. There's only two ways to go to heaven. One is to be completely righteous, and the other one is to be covered. And... Um, Paul kind of, one of the things that I think when we were going through this Bible study with um, some of the guys in Romans is the journey that Paul takes us down in order to get to, like he really has to preach the law. He really comes down hard for us to reveal to us our sin because really the law, you know, um, Exodus 20, the law has been set apart to reveal our sin to us. It says um, in Romans 3.20, for, for, by works the law, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So really, the way that the law works and the gospel works is the law is there to reveal to us our knowledge of sin, our inadequacies. Because if we don't have a need for Christ, if we don't have a need for, for, for the cross, then, then Christ died in vain. So really, so as, as, as he talks about the law and how God has a righteous judgment, so we're either you know, proclaimed guilty or not guilty. That's it. There's no gray area here. We're guilty or not guilty. There's heaven and hell. And so really understanding that, that we're saved from the wrath of God because he's calling us to perfect righteousness gets you to understand how heavy the cross is. So if we have faith in Christ that he died, his righteousness was imputed to us, right? So if his righteousness is imputed to us, the way that God sees us is he sees his son. He sees perfect holiness, 
here. He sees perfect righteousness because he sees his son. So we've had Christ's righteousness imputed onto us. So understanding that, understanding that, you begin to understand justification. And so once again, when we try to add anything to that, you know, Christ plus works or anything like that, we, we begin to negate and nullify the power of the cross. I don't know if you guys are following me here. I know I'm being fairly redundant, but it's, it's a big, big deal. And that's why it's, it's like the fundamentals. Um, because at the end of the day, this is the only thing that's going to keep, keep giving us hope through the hard times and through the suffering and through the emotions of life. Um, so I'm going to jump into Romans 4 here. And so it says, uh, 4.1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. So curiously, I mean, I don't know what I was about to say, but um, it's interesting to see how the first person, got, uh, Paul uses an example here to talk about, um, you know, about, right, uh, about, um, about his faith was counted to him as a righteousness is Abraham. And then he talks about David, but that would be, it's kind of natural because if you think about it in Rome, who are these kind of heroes of the Bible at this point? Are the Old Testament. It's Abraham and David, right? So if anyone could warrant going to heaven by works, it would be Abraham and David. So he, immediately he brings these two up. And he, and he says, if you look in Genesis, uh, I think it's 3.15. Um, we should have had a speed contest this morning so you can get to the scripture the fastest. But no, it's 15.6. I'm sorry, Genesis 15.6. But just to kind of, I'm going to start reading at verse um, 4. And behold, the word of, of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offsprings be. And he believed the Lord, and, his, and he counted him, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So that's the gospel in, in Genesis 15, 6. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't that Abraham's works gave him favor with God. God had favor through grace. Through his grace, Abraham had favor with God. I mean, even, even a chapter later, um, Genesis 16, 17, it starts, to, it starts to talk about how Abraham, you know, he took matters into his own hands, and he um, ended up sleeping with um, his wife's, um, was it, handmaiden, um, Hagar, and, and they had a son. Um, but that's not what God had destined to happen. And so that was, that was when, when Abraham was 86, and, and, and they were like, man, can we, is it possible for us to have a kid? So Abraham's kind of freaking out, so he takes matters into his own hand. But the Lord shows a lot of grace there, you know. He had favor with him. Abraham never went out of favor with him. He, he, it was him taking it to in his own hands, but he never went out of favor. And then when Abraham was 100 years old, finally 14 years after that, they had Isaac with um, Sarah. So God's grace still was with him, um, even through that sin that had taken place in his life. So he uses Abraham as, as an example of, of uh, faith is, is, is a gift of righteousness from God. It's not, it's not works. And then he even goes on in verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not, are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You know, it's our default tendency to want to get paid for our work, right? So a lot of times, that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. We want to, like people want to feel like they, they have gained something by how good they are as a person. 
But Christianity, is not, it's, it's, upside, it's the upside-down kingdom. It's not about that altogether. We're missing the whole point. Um, and then it uses David as an example, and he says, uh, just as, as David also speaks, and this is verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one, uh, the one to whom God counted righteousness apart from works, David says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. So he's talking once again about imputation. Christ's righteousness on the cross is imputed to us as believers, and we're covered completely. You know, I often think about those bracelets, the what would Jesus do bracelets, and, and I, I like them a lot, but take, those, take that one step forward, and what if they said, what did Jesus do? Because if we, we should go back, and every decision we make, and, and how we live our life, and we should live as if we really believe what he has already done, because we, are, we have favor. So therefore, our works, our good works that we do, are fruit of the good favor that we have with Christ. We don't have to do good works to gain favor with Christ. It's what did Jesus do? I mean, that's like really exciting stuff. I mean, it's good news. That should, that should impact us how we live, how we treat everybody. We don't have to go out and gain anything. We've already been given it. We have full inheritance. We are sons. Um, sorry, I get a little excited. Um, so let's skip down to verse 14. Um, for if it is the inheritance of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Just like I said, if we were to gain favor with God by our works, then the cross is null and void. Um, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Um, this is why it depends on faith. This is verse 16. Uh, the Bible does a lot better explaining this stuff than I do. This is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all offsprings not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares his faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I made you father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Like I said earlier, there's a reason why he's using Abraham right now to, to talk about um, righteousness. And um, let's skip down to verse, uh, let's see, uh, verse 20, Romans 4.20. No distrust made him, uh, him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he, gave, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's good news this morning, guys. I mean, that's really, really, really good news. Um, and, you know, justification uh, is not just something that happens once uh, as a believer when you come through grace to understand, uh, to understand and come into faith. It's, it's not just, it doesn't just happen. It's something that we should continually go back to as believers. We should continually go back to the cross every single day. And, and, and understand that we have perfect favor because of his imputed righteousness upon us. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, so what does that mean, uh, kind of, like as far as, like, how does that apply to our life, uh, kind of day to day? You know, um, like I said earlier, when Oh, am I still on? Um, like I said earlier, one of the things that has always inspired me is kind of leaders throughout the history of the world and how the Lord, through his grace, has, has used them. And uh, this morning I want to talk about a couple people 
Um, the first one, and uh, I'm kind of patriotic, you can just ask Tony, but um, I've already, I'm already thinking about what kind of uh, Fourth of July bathing suit I'm going to get. Uh, uh, is that weird? Yeah. Sorry. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go Euro style or American style. That's inappropriate. All right. You guys are still awake. That's good. That's good. Um, so, the, so the first person I wanted to talk about was George Washington. And I mean, we all picture George Washington as this old guy with a wig on and a dollar bill. But he, that's not, I mean, he's, he's, he's so much more than that. Like, George Washington could ride horses better than anyone in Virginia. Like, when people would go, <laughs> seriously, like, he was a man's man. He was, like, 6'3", like, he was... At 21 years old, he was already being led as an officer, which is just kind of uncalled for. But um, what, was I, what was I saying there? Um, I got excited. Um, but yeah, I mean, seriously, though, he would go on fox hunts for like eight hours at a time. No men could ride with him. Like, so he would start a fox hunt with like four or five dudes, and by the end of it, he's by himself because no one could keep up with him. Like, he was crazy. Um, but so, like, it, and I just say this because, I mean, I think, you know, the dollar bill paints this picture of George Washington, and he was just so much more than that. Uh, and I'm still learning a lot about him, so that's why I was excited to talk about him this morning. And I don't, I don't know how I'm going to tie this in, but I'm going to try to. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I do kind of know. So, um, so at 21, basically, at the beginning of the, of the French and Indian War, he was, you know, he was, uh, he was called to go scout out French Fort, uh, which was over in Pennsylvania. And um, he was great in the wilderness. He was a great rider, so that's why they. So he was made an officer at like 21, which is you know super young. And he went over there, scouted the fort, and kind of saw you know what they were doing. And um, so then you know he reported back. And uh, a couple years later, he was asked to lead kind of a group to go over and take the fort from the French against the Indians. And um, at, as an officer at a young age, he he. Uh, he exemplified incredible leadership, but he, he made some mistakes and got, he got rocked pretty hard with some of the British troops. Um, but as he grew um, later, he was asked again to go back and, and fight, and, and he continued to prove himself as a leader. And uh, you know, once the American Revolutionary War came, he, it was clear, you know, um, you know, uh, you know. Some of the stuff that he did was legendary, like Valley Forge, wintering out, and like I think that was in 1977 or not 19, 7, 1777. Um, Brian Kelly's not here; he's the historian. He'd call me out if I missed a date. But um, and then and then they crossed the the Delaware River, you know, on Christmas Eve to to, to kind of take it, and like it was just. The leadership that he had, I mean, he had guys following him that didn't have shoes on, that it was freezing cold. Like, he was one of the greatest leaders and men that America's ever had. And he was a man of extreme faith as well. And, um, and here's the thing. I didn't know about this till the other day. And this is kind of why I'm talking about George Washington, but I think this is crazy. So after the, the, the war was over, um, you know, Amer he inherited a country that was in total debt. We didn't have, you know, we were, we were kind of a sinking ship debt-wise. And... Um, a lot of the troops in the American Revolutionary War did not get paid. And so what had happened was they wanted, they wanted uh, George Washington to come out and have a military coup and take it over and become a king. And uh, at that point, everyone followed and respected George Washington, so easily he could have become a king, easily, and become more of a, like, kind of a dictator role. Um, but he called together, and all, and all the, his military buddies who he just wintered Valley Forge with, that had followed him through everything, all of them 
basically called, he called a meeting with them all, and they all wanted to have this coup. And he's like, look, guys, we didn't fight. The reason we fought for this country is because what we truly believed in freedom instead of a democratic republic. And this is not, we didn't, we didn't do this to get paid or for any material wealth. We did this because we believed in America. And ultimately, he won his troops over, and obviously, we're here today because of, of that speech that he had. So, you know, and, the, and I guess to tie this all back in is George Washington could easily have been one of the most powerful. I mean, they just took out the British Army. I mean, they're, they're the most powerful army in the world at that point, or Navy. Um, and, and he could have easily been one of the most powerful people, but instead he forewent becoming king in order to do what long-term was best for the country. Um, and so, but my reason for saying that, in addition to that, though, um, he also didn't, like, he, he served the first term of presidency. He didn't even want to do a second term because he really wanted someone to take over. He wanted to allow the election process to do what it was supposed to do. And, um, but they, they pushed him really hard, and he did a second term, but he really didn't want to. John Adams was the second president. And, um, but what I'm, what I'm getting at really is he sacrificed um, kind of being the most powerful person in the world for what was best for the country. And I think you're not able to make those decisions unless you are fundamentally secure in who your identity is. And I think a lot of times it's, it gets down to the fundamentals. If we understand the doctrine of justification, that we're justified by faith through grace in Christ alone, then, then that, that is where we find our identity. And so, sorry, babe, do you mind taking her out? I love you. If it wasn't my baby, I wouldn't be sensitive to it. It's, 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 I know you guys don't mind. It's just, it's just because it's my baby. And I love her, that's why. Um, now she's being good. I love you, baby girl. Um, so, so I got another story for you. So Jackie Robinson, is, is, so J Jackie Robinson, number number forty-two, right, Renner, number forty-two. Is that number retired? Of course it is. Even in the minor leagues. So. Jackie Robinson was born in 1919, uh, and I think he died in 1972, but he really kind of grew up in Pasadena, so right around the corner. Um, and uh, his mom, I think, was a first-generation slave that moved out to California just to raise her children in a different atmosphere. That being said, they still, um, you know, they had crosses burned on their lawn and tar poured on the lawn growing up even in Pasadena. So, um, so racism just didn't exist only in the South. Granted, it was a lot worse there. But um, so Jackie Robinson was, was raised in a Christian home, um, which what I didn't know was his brother uh, was a phenomenal athlete as well. He got the silver medal to Jesse Owens in the Olympics. Um, and uh, Jackie Robinson was actually the first person uh, at UCLA to letter in four sports, football, basketball, baseball, and track. Um, so phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. And in a time where, you know, the civil rights movement was just beginning to, to get going and uh, so what was really cool about this story of, of Jackie Robinson is, and, 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 he, and he's not without, uh, you know, without blemish by any means. He, he, he was kind of known for popping off on people that were kind of making racist remarks and for doing things. Like he was known as kind of a fireball. In fact, he, he actually went to the military for a little while and got honorably discharged because he refused to sit in the back of the bus when he knew as a law in the military that it was okay to sit wherever in the bus, but some officers on the bus kind of um, went off on him. And so he, 
he fought it pretty hard, but he, he never, I mean, he fought for what he believed, and, and, um, and, uh, and so, obviously, um, we, we kind of know him for playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and uh, a guy by the name of, who is the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers? Branch Ricky. Yeah. So, Branch Ricky was known for being a man of faith as well. Um, and so he, he uh, you know, he'd been, he'd been doing a lot of research on who, who he should call up because he, he really wanted to, he really believed in kind of the civil rights movement and stuff like that. And he wanted to be the first person to bring uh, a black person or an African-American into professional baseball because at that point they only had the Negro Leagues. So he did a lot of research for a while and they found this guy named Jackie Robinson who was, you know, college guy, military man, um, a, a man of faith. So he's like, if anyone can do it, by all means, Jackie Robinson can. And so, you know, he got in contact with Jackie Robinson. And, and I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, um, 42, but one of the, the best moments in the movie is they're sitting there, and he goes, um, and Jackie Robinson says, hey, I know, I'm not Jackie Robinson, Branch Ricky says to Jackie Robinson, I know you are a good ball player. What I don't know is if you have the guts. And, of course, Jackie Robinson's like, what are you talking about, the guts? Of course I have the guts. But then he says, I'm not looking, I'm not looking for a ball player with guts enough to fight back. Um, I'm looking for a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. So he said, I'm sorry. And then he quotes the scripture, uh, Matthew 5, 38 through 41, which I'm going to look up real quick, which is kind of at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew 5, 38 41. Let's see here. It says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would, sh- would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So at any moment, you know, throughout Jackie Robinson's professional career with the Brooklyn Dodgers, he could have sacrificed it all just to defend himself. And not that he didn't fight back in the right, right way, but he could have blown it very easily. But if he'd have blown it, trying to defend himself in the moment of the emotion, he, he would have blown it for, you know, Negro baseball players for a long time. And in fact, he ended up working with Martin Luther King Jr. after he ended up retiring, and he was a big player in the civil rights. I mean, it's amazing how sports play a role in that. And so it gets back again, just like with George Washington, just like what Paul's getting at. It gets back to the fundamentals, like where is your faith? Where is your identity coming from? Is it coming from Christ or is it coming from your ability to perform? Because if it's coming from your ability to perform, you're going to fail. At the end of the day, you have to have something deeper there. Um, so I want to end on one last story. I've been kind of reading this biography on this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer for quite a while now. And uh, it's really tremendously impacted my life, just the way that he leads. And, um, and so basically, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a German who kind of, um, grew up in uh, the shadow of World War, II, World War I and then kind of came to prominence in World War II and um, came from a very aristocratic family, highly, highly educated. In fact, one of his brothers uh, was able to split the atom with uh, Albert Einstein. Like, came from very, like, it was one of those families at the dinner table, if you couldn't defend your opinion, then you don't talk. Like, very, like, <laughs> and so... Um, so, you know, to understand a little bit about it, and I'm no historian by any means, but coming out of World War I, Germany was totally, totally down, depressed. I mean, they were looking, I mean, they just basically, it'd be like the French coming over and beating us right now. 
I get upset if they beat us in like basketball. That's why I couldn't cheer for the Spurs. Okay, sorry. No, no offense to the French. Okay, sorry. I offended somebody out there. I'm sure. But as an American, like getting getting beat up by by anybody. I mean, they were just the wind was taken out of their sails, and they were looking for something. And that's why really the Nazis were able to come in and take power. Um, because they were kind of in the wake of just being totally depleted, having their pride taken from them completely. Um, and so Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was, I think, kind of, I think he had two or three uh, older brothers and, and a couple younger, I think he was, there were eight children, but, um, so basically he chose at, at the age of 13, which is crazy to me, to become a theologian. He wanted to be a pastor. And so at that age he really started, um, you know, kind of studying, going to school and preparing for that. And, um, so this is, once again, like kind of in the wake of World War I. And so as he kind of grew and became educated, and he, he came over to America and got to see, actually, which was really cool, he, uh, I think the church in New York City was called, it was one of the biggest Negro churches at the time. It's called Abyssinian Church. I don't know if anyone knows. It was Abyssinian. Yeah, and it was one of the biggest churches. And, and he saw for the first time, like, the power of the gospel movement and kind of the power that was coming from this civil rights movement and how really the gospel was kind of a lot of times the power and the central focus behind that. And little did he know that he was going to be dealing with people, his own people that were persecuting the Jews later. But it was cool that he, before even really knowing this, before Hitler even coming to power, he, was, he went to the church, the Obsidian Church in New York City, which I thought was pretty crazy how the Lord does that. Um, so then he comes back, and after that, he, you know, he traveled quite a bit, and after that he starts you know, becoming a pastor of the church. And slowly the Nazi party during this whole time was coming into power. And one thing that's really interesting to understand is what Hitler did was he was trying to unify all the churches. He'd bring them to all together and make it like state run so that he could really have his finger on the pulse of what the church was preaching. And so he was slowly kind of infiltrating the church. And he was, he was, and he was trying to, to, to argue from a church perspective that um, the, the, the Aryans were, the Jews were lesser. And then slowly kind of ingrained that into the culture and then all of a sudden you know um, even if they were messianic Jews they couldn't be in leadership in the church and stuff like that and so this slowly infiltrated the church and so um, actually Bonhoeffer led the movement to break from the church and he formed another church called the Confessing Church which was basically going out against Hitler Um, and so uh, so once he started doing this in 1933 was when, when when Hitler really came to power and the first thing that, that Bonhoeffer does is he goes up in the pulpit and preaches a lesson about Hitler becoming a savior, how he's an idol. Work, you, know, you guys are, are looking at Hitler like he's the savior and you're worshiping idols. So he comes right out against that. And like you just don't, it's not like here where you can say anything you want and you know, you're not going to be persecuted. Like Hitler was taking out people all over the place slowly. Like they were just disappearing and going you know, into concentration camps because they were coming out against him. So he took a very bold, bold stand about, you know, Hitler being a savior and how people are worshiping and how Jesus is the only true savior. So I know I'm taking you down this long story, but to me it's very interesting. Um, maybe not to you, but to me it's very interesting. Um, so that being said, so he already had a target on his back, right? So Bonhoeffer had this huge target on his back, and as Hitler began to really rise in power, his friends were like, Bonhoeffer, you've got to get out of the country. You're going to get, you got a target on your back. You're going to get hammered. So basically he he jumped on a ship and was headed back to the U.S. And while he was on that ship, he was just like, man, I'm just, I feel like I'm leaving my people. You know, whatever the consequences are, I don't, 
at this point, I don't care. You know what? I want to sacrifice whatever. So as soon as he gets back, he had this like posh job set up to be like a teacher at, at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And he's like, you know what? I, I got to go back. And so he goes back to Germany and he ends up, um, let's see, what is the name of it? This is really cool. So as a pastor, he then works for the Abwehr. I think they're called the Abwehr or something like that. But basically it's this kind of He's acting as a spy, so he's essentially kind of working for the German government, but he's a spy. So they're trying to smuggle Jews out to Switzerland, and, and, they're, and they're planning these plots against Hitler to assassinate him. So here's this pastor, spy, you know, that's working, that's a double agent working against the Germans, right? And so, I mean, it's this crazy story. And so um, he ends up kind of getting uncovered on one of the failed assassinations of, on Hitler. A, a bomb actually blew up in the same room with him, but he was sitting like, he had like a big, um, kind of, there was a big table and they had like a big tree trunk like sitting in front of him. So the bomb exploded from underneath and didn't kill him, like killed a bunch of other people. And so that, that he, there, the, the Gestapo, which was kind of like, Gestapo, which was like the police, you know, ended up uncovering everyone that was involved. So along with Bonhoeffer, a lot of people got thrown in prison. So ultimately, Bonhoeffer ends up uh, hanging. He ends up spending the next three or four years in concentration camps with the Jews and in and out of different prisons and ends up hanging three weeks before Hitler um, commits suicide. And, um, but, which is crazy. Um, but the, the, what he, he, he was able to do as far as kind of um, the books that he read, he, he wrote this book called... Uh, um, what is it? It's a discipleship book. Um, and then he wrote one called Ethics. What's it called? Cost of Discipleship. It's a pretty heavy read. Um, but uh, he wrote The Cost of Discipleship, and he wrote another book called Ethics. But getting back to kind of, there's two things that I, I want to kind of leave, leave you guys from this story. One is, it's so easy for us in our culture to become complacent. Like, what happened with the Nazis in the church isn't above us. You know, we can be lulled to sleep by complacency. So that's why it's so important to understand justification. It's so understand to understand the power of the cross. It's so important to understand where your identity is. Because we are going to be swayed emotionally back and forth. But understanding the centrality of the cross, the power of the cross, understanding that you're, you're what Jesus did and, and, he, and that he did not die in vain. And, and, and I guess, I don't know what the second thing, that point I, I had there, but... Um, I guess what really what I'm just trying to say this morning is, uh, you know, through these examples of these, of, of these men that I used, uh, is that inevitably our lives are going to go through hardship. And I think even in Malibu, a lot of times, we try to pretend like it, it's not there. And that, that's an attack of the enemy. Uh, because I guarantee you there's a lot of suffering going on right now in each of these chairs. Um, but we try to pretend like it's not there. And we're fighting a battle. We're fighting a battle. That's why it's so, so important that we're grounded spiritually, that we get back to the fundamentals. Because at the end of the day, that's all we have is our relationship with the Lord. Um, so that's all I got. Uh, let me end this in prayer here. Dear Holy Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity just to get up and share from the Word this morning. And Lord, I just pray that there will be grace with the words that came from my mouth this morning, Lord. That, Lord, that you will awaken us not to be a complete, a people of complacency, but um, a people truly, truly moved by your word and drawn to the truth. And Lord, let us understand this morning that we have absolute and complete favor in you, that when you see us, you see us as beautiful because we are in Christ. We are, 
We are completely righteous this morning, Father God, if we are under your favor. Father God, I pray that grace just extend um, to everyone this morning, Father God, and that as this week goes, I, I pray that they think about the words that were said this morning and, and look at Romans, Father God, and how you slowly like bring us into your grace and you reveal truth to us through your Holy Spirit. And um, Father God, I, I am definitely not someone that's without blemish, Father God, but I'm someone that's been saved by your grace as we all are here. And help the gathering to be a place, Father God, where sinners have a commonality, that we can come and and be as sinners together, knowing that the only thing that we have in common is you, Father God, that you've redeemed us all this morning, no matter what our past is, no matter what we've gone through in our life, and um, that you died for us. And every single sin that we ever could even think about committing was nailed to the cross with your son. And, and I just thank you so much for that. And, and in your precious holy name, I pray. Amen.